0: And I think about those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Man, in the, in the front of them, everything looked like all hope was lost. The power of God they had seen in their midst must be gone. And then a stranger walks up beside them. And it says,
1: their hearts were strangely Our body will
0: be redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. No more groaning because of the aches and the pains of the body, right? But until that day, we're wearing down. And so we've got to trust him. It's temporary. We can relate to these groans. We groan because of our aches and pains. We groan because of the heartaches and the pains that they cause. We groan, but if we're followers of Christ, he says, we wait. And we wait patiently because of the hope within us. So what's causing you to groan today as a shepherd I look out at you and I see some of the causes of the groans you're battling cancer or another serious disease or you're you're struggling struggling with grief because you you've been through death of a loved one or or you 've got that prodigal child or you 've had financial loss you 've had marital heartbreak all of these. A result of this broken world, of of paradise lost, of it not being the way we wish it were, all realities of life. And sometimes that causes us to get to a place where we don't even know what to say. We're at the end of our rope, we're barely hanging on, and we wonder if God even cares. So to let us know he does, Paul says, creation groans. The creatures groan, that's us. Now he's going to tell us that even the creator groans. Listen to this, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's the third groan. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is one of the most encouraging verses in all of the Bible. Did you catch what it says? We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit of God living within us takes over and begins to cry out to the Father on our behalf. That's good news, church. That's worth celebrating. God loves us so much that the Spirit of God in us cries out to the Father, even when we don't know the words to say. One of my favorite preachers is Dr. Robert Smith. I heard him talking about this passage, and he began to tell this story of um, his mentor. He said his mentor it taught him so much about how to be the man of God that he was, but his mentor had had aged and now he had Alzheimer's and was not healthy. And He said a lot of their friends wanted to honor him, so they planned this big service just honoring the mentor and they got him there and they didn't even know if he was understanding because when he talked, everything was just kind of a mumble or it was jumbled. It didn't make any sense. And at the end of the service, he was supposed to sing the song... That he was known for. And they didn't know if he'd be able to do it. But they printed it in the bulletin. And at the end of the service. His wife walked him up onto the stage. And and she stood beside him. He just stood there and stared. Then she whispered into his ear. Precious. And he began to smile, and he sang, Precious Lord, and she whispered, Take my hand, and he sang, Take my hand, and she whispered, Lead me on, lead me on she whispered, let me stand. Let me stand. And he began to sing. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on. To the light, precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home. And Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith said, he said, I can't help but think that's what the Holy Spirit does when we don't know the words to say Sometimes He just utters to the Father on our behalf, but sometimes He puts the words in our heart. He puts the song back in our heart. He gives us the joy in the moment. When we don't know the words to say, we don't know the prayers to pray, the Holy Spirit of God will take our groan and meet it with His groan, and He will give us a song of hope. And how does this help us? It helps us because He knows our heart. That's what it says. He who searches the heart. God knows what you need. He's sovereign. He's not caught off guard by the crazy circumstances in your life. He's never going to say, I can't believe that happened. What are we going to do now? And he knows the mind of God. And he knows the will of God. All that's right here in this verse. And because he knows your heart and and he knows the mind of God and, and he knows the will of God, he's moving in your life. To bring you into right relationship with him. All that that simply means we can trust him. Right church? You can trust him. Say I can trust him. Now that's the context of Romans 8.28. It's not meant to be just some encouraging statement that you see on a painting on the wall. In the context of the groanings of all creation and the groanings of creatures like us and the groanings of the Spirit of God, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. When we don't think God makes sense, what do we do? Well, we hold on to what we know. That's what it says. We know. And that word know means with confidence, with certainty. This is not, well, I don't know, maybe. I, could, could God come through? I'm not, a, I'm not sure. No, we know. What do we know? I love how John Stott, he, he says, these are unshakable convictions. We know, first of all, that God is at work. And friend, whatever you're facing, God's at work in your life. You just need to see where he's at work and get in on it. Join him in his work. But secondly, he says, God is at work for your good. Just think about that. God is at work for your good. Doesn't say for your comfort. God never promises your comfort. Doesn't say for your prosperity. Some of you need to call into one of those television preachers and tell them, doesn't say that. God is at work. He's at work for your good. He's at work for your good in all things. Say all things. Do you know even the negative things in your life can be used for positive purposes when they're in the hands of God? There's a lot of things in my life I'd say, I'd give anything if I could get in a time machine and go back in time and undo some of the decisions I've made or some of the pain I've caused, but I wouldn't give anything for what God's done as he's brought me through it. I'm a better person. I'm, I'm more like Jesus. I've, I've fellowshiped with him in my sufferings. That, that's what the apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about all these things he's been through. Do you remember? He says, I've worked much harder and been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of the concern for all you church people. That's what he says. Sound like an easy life? But it's this guy that says, God is at work for your good in all things. Then God is at work for your good in all things to those who love him. This uh, this shouldn't surprise you, but God wants you to love him. That's what he desired. He said, What do I have to do for God? You got to love him. It's in the Old and New Testament, the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We say it here at Mission Hill. Love God passionately. And when you make a determination, I'm going to love God with all that I am, here's the promise. He's working together for your good in all things. He's working together. God is at work for your good in all things. And then he says, if you're a lover of God... You're called for His purposes. So you want to look at everything you're facing and say, God, what are are you bringing about in the midst of this season of trial? That's what this passage is teaching us about suffering. So what it does is it also exposes some wrong thinking. I love what Pastor J.D. Greer, he pointed out some of the myths that are busted by this passage of Scripture. Number one, this myth, suffering can be avoided. It can't. Boy, I wish it could. I'm looking out at my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know what so many of you have been through. Things that are unexplainable. Things that cause us to say why. The truth is, according to Jesus, in this world you will have trouble. But have no fear, for he has overcome the world. As someone said, there'll be no crown wearers in heaven that haven't been first cross bearers on earth. Sometimes you have to pick up your cross and follow him. It's a myth to think that suffering can be avoided, it's a myth to say where there's suffering, there must be sin. And some of you have even been in a church where they taught you that. And I, I, I apologize, that's not scriptural. Now don't get me wrong, your sinful choices can cause suffering, right? If you left this place and, and you get intoxicated and then you get in your car, you could cause all kind of suffering for yourself and for others. There can be practical consequences to our sinful decisions that cause us to hurt. But nowhere in Scripture does it say every time you suffer, it's because of sin in your life. In fact, Jesus says to the contrary. They approached a blind man one day in the street. They said, who sinned, his mother or father? And and Jesus made it clear, this is not a sinful issue. This This is a broken world issue. Some of the pain we suffer is because we live in this broken world. Don't buy into that myth. The third myth, there's always a silver lining behind dark clouds. Let me tell you how church people say this. And some of you have been hurt by this. Well, God did this for a reason. Raise your hand if you've ever been told something like that in your life. You're going through something you don't understand. Well, God did that for a reason. Here's what that presumes it presumes God's a puppet master. It's causing everything in this world. And we've already established some of the brokenness in this world happens because paradise is lost. Because all creation is groaning. And if all creation is groaning, we're going to groan. And when we're groaning, sometimes we need the Spirit to groan on our behalf. Sometimes it's just plain hard on this side of heaven. And we have to trust the Lord. Now, it's gotten kind of heavy in here, I can tell, so maybe I just need to remind you of one of my favorite stories. It's about this little bird named Chirpy. He was a sparrow, and he was kind of a stubborn sparrow. He lived up north, but he decided, unlike all his sparrow friends, he was comfortable. He did not want to leave home just because it was winter. And so, Chirpy decided not to go south. He decided to Stay up north. But Chirpy encountered a problem. The cold came. And the snow came. And he began to freeze. Both inside and out. In fact, Chirpy's wings actually got ice on them and they were frozen. And when Chirpy's wings were frozen, he realized something. A bird can't fly with frozen wings. So, plat, he fell down to the ground. Luckily, he survived. He thought he was going to die. He was laying on the ground frozen, couldn't move a wing, and he looked around, and then he thought he was just about to get murdered, because he realized he had landed in a pasture, and there was a big old cow coming his way. He thought, sure, that cow was going to step on him, but that cow came right toward Chirpy, and then he passed right over Chirpy. But as that cow passed over Chirpy, he did the unthinkable. He plopped. Right on Chirpy. A big pile of cow manure right on top of Chirpy. Now you say, how terrible. But Chirpy was actually grateful. He could have died in that moment. And in fact, because of what he was up under, the circumstances he was up under, his wings began to thaw out. Things were a little warmer <laughs> up under that manure. And he th- he thought things were great. In fact, he began to clean off His wings. And he began to get out of that manure. And he began to sing. He began to chirp. Chirpy had a song in his heart. And then the old farm cat came out of nowhere. That farm cat came up to chirpy. He finished cleaning him off. And in one bite, he ate chirpy for lunch. That's a sad story. Everybody say "Oh." But there's some life lessons in that story. Number one, not everyone who drops manure on you is your enemy. Just think about that one. Number two, not everyone who gets it off is your friend. (laughs) And number three, when you find yourself in a whole heap of trouble like a pile of manure, sometimes it's it's helpful just to keep your little chirper shut (laughs) and wait until the end of the story and sing the song that God puts in your heart. Hey, listen, whether you laughed at that or not, you need to know something. Sometimes life is just tough. But God's working a song in your life. Let me give you three takeaways. When you're in the midst of the pain. When you experience pain, I want you to remember this. Remember God's promise. Remember the first verse? This suffering of the present pales in comparison to the promise of future glory. Regardless of what you face, this is not all there is. There's always hope. Say, there's always hope. And sometimes, the greater the pain, the greater the glory. Number two, when I experience pain, I need to learn to rely on his power, right? What did it say? It said, when you are weak, that's when the spirit begins to cry out on your behalf. That goes against everything we're taught in society. We're taught to never show our weaknesses, But as the follower of Christ, we learn that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. God doesn't promise to keep us from harm, but He does promise to deliver us. And sometimes He delivers us from the storm. Sometimes He delivers us in the storm. Sometimes He delivers us through the storm. Warren Wiersbe said, when God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostats. His loving heart knows how much and how long. Finally, when I experience pain, I rest in his purpose. This is a hard one. But I just rest in that reality that God's working. He's not caught off guard. And he'll use this for my good and for his glory. Now, one of the best biblical examples we see of that is Genesis 50, 20. Joseph looks at his brothers, and what does he say? You intended this for evil, but what? God meant it for good. But you know what's interesting? Joseph didn't say that when his brothers threw him in the pit. He didn't say that when that crazy woman, Potiphar, was running after him and accusing him of sexual assault. He didn't say that when they threw his rear end in prison. But about 20 years later, looking in the rearview mirror, he was able to say, you meant this for evil, but God, God worked it out for good. And then I think about those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Man, in the, in the front of them, everything looked like all hope was lost. Their friend had died. Their cause would now be forgotten. The power of God they had seen in their midst must be gone. And then a stranger walks up beside them. And it says their hearts were strangely warmed because they could look back and see, Oh, what God was doing then has impact on my now and my forever. One of the greatest stories I've heard of this in modern history is a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata. I remember hearing about her when I was a teenager. As a young lady, she was in a diving accident. You may know her story. Her neck was broken. She became a paraplegic and was in a wheelchair all of her life. She became a great teacher and a writer and even an artist. Maybe you have some of her art in your home. But she was talking about this one day, about how God is always working. And she said this, I sure hope I can bring my wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope I can bring it and and put it in a little corner of heaven, and then in my new perfect glorified body, standing on grateful glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hand, and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he'll know I mean it, because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now sharing in his sufferings. And I'll say, Jesus, you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said, in this world we will have trouble, because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you, and the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It would have never happened had you not given me the bruising and the blessing of that wheelchair. Then the real ticker tape parade of praise will begin, and all of earth will join the party. And at that point, Christ will open up our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we've ever experienced on earth. And when we're able to stop laughing and crying, the Lord Jesus really will wipe away our tears. And then she says, I find it so poignant that finally, finally, at the point when I have the use of my arms and I could wipe away my own tears, I won't have to. God will wipe them away for me. (laughs) I love it because she goes on to say, and then I'll turn to Jesus and say, you can throw that wheelchair
1: in hell. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement